Tonight we are continuing our series on Jesusology, which is a made-up word. Um, it's <laughs> if you go to theology school, it's actually Christology, but um, we like Jesusology better. Last week, Marvin did an excellent job communicating the centrality of Christ. Marvin, you in here tonight? Great job, Marvin. <clears throat> He even had um, like special effects. You guys saw that? That's awesome. So I'm trying to one-up him with the uh, super high-tech whiteboard. <laughs> Have you ever seen that stuff erase? It's like magic. Um, my goodness. Uh, the week before that, Matthew spoke on the deity of Christ, a.k.a. Jesus is fully God. Uh, he said a sentence, he said something <clears throat> when he spoke that deserves to be said again many times, and that's that Jesus took on the nature of man so that man could take on the nature of God. It was like pow, pow, power wheels when he said it. Um, <clears throat> so tonight what I want to do is delicately but boldly show from Scripture the amazing truth that Jesus is also fully man. He's fully human. This, it's one of my favorite things to talk about because um, it's what we actually get to walk in. Uh, to sum up Jesusology, it's right here. Jesus was fully God, he's fully man, in one person, and will be so forever. Um, it was good seeing you guys. Have a great night. Uh, JK. There is an immense amount of scripture on this subject and so what I decided to do is to break it down into three important categories and if you guys have notes <clears throat> uh, you'll be able to follow along better <clears throat> if you didn't get one just look on with your neighbor we are a family <laughs> uh, any place on there where you see the red letters just so you know those are places where you guys get to chime in, and whoever gets the reference from Scripture first gets $5 Starbucks gift cards. Yeah, this is interactive church. <clears throat> yeah, bribing, bribing people to know the Bible is good. <clears throat> okay, so first of all, I'm going to show you some more awesome technology here. Man, I, uh... <laughs> Don't you guys like our poster? We worked hard on that. I'm, uh, I'm Tony Stark. I'm, I'm, I am Iron Man because I'm so incredibly confident. Um, <laughs> that's the word we use around my house. Um... <clears throat> Vincent is Thor because he misses his flowing locks. <laughs> Tracy is, I can't even remember her name, Black Widow. You're welcome, mother-in-law. And 
Matthew is the guy with the bow and arrow. I can't remember his name either. We were Hawkeye. Thank you guys. Thank you. We uh, we're superheroes. We're gonna talk about that a little bit tonight. But we are superheroes. We're we're something completely new. We we were born of our natural parents. But according to First or, uh, John chapter one, as soon as we believe that Jesus was or is who He says He is, and He's gonna do what He said He's gonna do, something new happened. We were reborn, not of the will of man, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of the husband, but born of the spirit. We actually become sons of God. He gave us the right or the ability or the authority or something magical happened at that moment. And we became new. Something the world had never seen before. Christ men. Um, <clears throat> all this... Okay, so all this had to be made possible through Jesus' life. So we're talking about him being fully man tonight. He is 100% fully human, and he is 100% fully God. That begs the question of how? Which God came up with something that no one could have ever imagined called the virgin birth or the virgin conception. Vincent, you know, he says that's much more of a miracle. Um, but <clears throat> does anybody already have the reference for that? What is it? What, it, what does it say there? That is that's a good one. That's a good one too. You want to read it real loud? The virgin shall be with the child and will give birth to a son, and then he will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Awesome. Great work. But he beat you to it, so. <laughs> Look at that throw! That like landed in your open hand. Holy Ghost is in the building. <laughs> That was cool. Okay. Why is the virgin birth important? Because it's very important. We just, we, those of us who have been Christians for a long time or grew up in the U.S. around Christianity, we just hear virgin birth and think, okay, yeah, yeah, this Jesus born in the manger, yada, yada. But it's weird. And it's holy. And it's something the world had never seen before. And it's important for at least three reasons. Number one, salvation ultimately <laughs> must come from the Lord. Man's effort doesn't work. Does any, for, not for a Starbucks card, does anyone have a reference for that one? <laughs> salvation is by faith. Through Man, walking Bible over here. Salvation is by... Grace through faith, or faith through grace, not by works. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. Um, and this, this shows, again, that God's the one that's going to have to bail us out. And He did because He loves us. It says in Genesis 3.15, um, God promised that the seed of woman would ultimately destroy the serpent. So, God brought it about by His own power, and it's not through human effort. It says in Galatians 4.4 that God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Isn't that good news? 
Reason number two it's really important is because it shows the union of full deity and full humanity in one man. So we can't really think of another way that that would have worked out or that anyone you know, really would have understood or believed it. If Jesus was born of two humans, the whole world would have a really hard time believing that he was God. And if he just like descended from heaven like Loki, <laughs> if he just descended from heaven like some you know, beautiful God that, that he is and, and I don't know, there was like some unoccupied human body just waiting for him to like take over, we would have been freaked out. We would have had a really hard time believing that he was fully man, right? And so what had to happen is that the seed of God had to be implanted into a natural woman so that we would understand that he's fully God and that he's fully man. You know, like, when, when Christmas time comes around, we, like, we prettify it. Like, we, we dress it up, and there's all this nostalgia, and we turn it into, like, this beautiful thing, you know, Jesus in a manger. But that's not the effect that God was, try, was going for there. He, the King of Glory came into our world through an unwed teenage woman... An unwed teenage girl who was on the run from the authorities with her boyfriend. The king of glory chose to come into the world as a helpless infant born next to steaming piles of manure. This is how the King of Glory came. And all the angels, they saw it and they said, Glory, hallelujah, and goodwill towards men. He's come. This is amazing. What kind of God would do this? He was laid in a cattle feeder. Reason number three why the virgin birth is very important is that Jesus now has true humanity without inherited sin. Gabriel says to, the, the archangel Gabriel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, therefore the child will be called holy. That's in Luke one thirty-five. Catholics actually believe that Mary was, was sinless too. This isn't like a knock on, on Catholics. But I just, it just begs the question, how did, how did Mary end up like without inherited sin? Like did her mother not, not sin? Or, or like where, where was it broken? But I, I think that a better solution for our own understanding is that the, the line from Adam, the, the descent from Adam had to be partially broken by God interrupting. And somehow... What that did is it broke the, the inherited sin not only from Joseph, because he wasn't in the picture in this birth, but it also broke the inherited sin from, from Mary. It's, it's a miracle. And I found out from one of my uh, medical friends, and then I read about this to verify it, did you, did you know that not one drop of blood passes from the mother to the forming baby? Had you guys heard that? I see some, some nodding heads out there. Are you a nurse? <laughs> all, 
the, the mother passes on no blood to the forming baby in her womb. The, the, the infant actually makes its entire own blood system from the genetic code that is, you know, laying dormant in the, in the egg and the, and the sperm. And so you can actually see that no blood or inherited sin was passed on to Jesus. So he was fully human without a sin nature. Whoa. That's cool. The Virgin actually wrote a quote on your notes that after I read it, I was like, that's kind of harsh. It's, a <laughs> it's from, a, it's from a, a famous theologian, and it says, The virgin birth must be believed in order to have faith in Jesus at all. And one who wrestles um, over God's ability to do this miracle would certainly have trouble believing that he could speak the earth and the universe into existence. That's a pretty big miracle. I mean, if you have Genesis 1 on your resume, don't you think that you could do a virgin birth? <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of us have, have wrestled with doubt in our lives, and I don't want that, that statement to be like a, a condemner. Because um, Jesus even showed up to Thomas in the midst of his doubt. <clears throat> All right. Section number two, prove it, Shuck. Um, he had human weaknesses and limitations. Okay, I'm going to prove to you that Jesus was fully human. We just talked about this. He has a human body and he was born just like us. He came into the world the exact same way that we all did. And on top of it, God... Jesus, fully God and fully man, grew. Anybody got the reference for it? I saw Katherine Anderson first. Luke 2.52 And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature for years and in favor with God and man. Boom! I don't think I can frisbee this one that far. You guys want to see me try? Alright, no one get their eyes poked. We don't have coverage for that kind of thing. <laughs> He's one of my future students. <laughs> That's punishment for something that you're going to do in the future. <laughs> Good job, Catherine. I would have also accepted Luke 2.40 where it just says Jesus grew and he was something like full of the favor of God. Yada, yada. Okay, so Jesus... The man Jesus Christ grew. On top of that, Jesus, he would get weary. He had human limitations, just like us. There's uh, this verse where it said, he sat down beside the well. Jesus, weary from his journey, sat down beside the well. That was in Samaria, right? That's where he had that awesome encounter with the, the woman at the well. It's in John 4, 6. On the cross, we see that he is thirsty. Speaking of which... <laughs> He's thirsty on the cross. That's John 19:28. He became very hungry after fasting for 40 days. Any one of us would. He's got the same kind of body as any one of us. That's Matthew 4:2. And then in Matthew 4:11, we find out that it's it's such a severe hunger. Do you know that when you fast for 40 days, you are, on, you are on the verge of death. You're on the verge of your body shutting down, or at least there would be irreparable damage done. 
It was so severe that Jesus actually had angels sent to him to minister to him. Maybe they were probably nurturing him back to life. Just putting sugar packets in his belly. <laughs> okay, what I'm, what I'm really going to try to do is, is to show you guys that there is no irreverence in this whatsoever. Because He is our God. He is, he is worthy and deserving of all of our respect, all of our honor, all of our praise. He is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is a lamb without spot or blemish. But what this teaching is meant to do is not just blow your mind, but show you that you can walk in the same things that Jesus did because He had the same weaknesses and limitations that you do. Okay, so if anything comes off as irreverent, um, you can just email uh, John Eckert at, at SBC. Um, <clears throat> all right, he had physical limits just like ours. Not even Jesus could carry his own cross. You know how much we need each other. Jesus couldn't even carry his own cross. We absolutely need to lock arms with one another because if Jesus can't make it up that hill on his own, then you can't. You need another human, another friend, several, preferably, in your corner. Helping you walk through every phase of life, even if it's one of those phases where it feels like you are dying. Okay? He then rose from the dead in a physical human body. Although it was one that was made perfect, no longer subject to weakness, disease, or death. It's a resurrected body. Isn't that cool? It says in Luke 24, 39, he's hanging out with the disciples. They're freaking out, okay? Because he's back. And he's like, just handle me. Like, touch me. I'm, I'm, it's me. I'm the dude. Like, see that I am flesh and bone. Put your hands here. And he's trying to get them to see that he's in a body. Like, he's not a spirit. Your hand's not going to pass through Jesus. It's going to stop against his chest. After he was resurrected, he even ate fish. A broiled fish in front of them. That's good news, because I love eating Resurrected body is cool and all, but I'm looking forward to resurrected food. <laughs> We're going to hang out with Atkins up in heaven, <laughs> share a chuckle. Um, he had a human mind. That verse that Catherine read earlier, Luke 2.52, Jesus increased or he grew in wisdom stature, and favor. This is a linchpin verse. There's, there's a few of them that you're going to hear. Another one is Hebrews 5.8 where it says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's crazy. But this one is also equally as crazy that God grew in wisdom, stature, and favor before God and before men. So let's start off with, with wisdom. Wisdom, did I skip something? Oh, yeah, I want to write that in there. Let's start off with wisdom. Wisdom is, I'm just going to write this in. 
252. That's one of those linchpin verses. Wisdom is skill at living. Okay, so let's get this straight. Jesus did not sin. We're not talking about that kind of wisdom. We're talking about skill at living, which means he was born a baby. He probably learned how to crawl at a proper time, and he learned how to walk. Maybe he learned how to ride a bike with wooden tires. Um, he, he, <laughs> you know, it's, it's possible... It's possible. Here, just, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm not saying that, th that it did happen. I'm just saying it's, it's possible that maybe he spilled the goat milk. Amen. Maybe he chewed with his mouth open. And his mom had to say, hey, honey, you know, it's just, I know you don't know this yet, but it's, it's just proper manners to chew with your mouth closed, sir. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he may have like hit his thumb with a hammer on a building project. He didn't break any bones. We know that from scripture. He probably ruined a building project. He didn't get his Legos right. He, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, he had to learn how to live effectively just like we do. That is not an area of sin. That's an area of immaturity. Immaturity is not sin. Boom. <clears throat> Okay, so he also grew in stature, which, I mean, you can, you can relate that to physical size, but we already found out he, he grew in, in Luke 2.40. So I looked up stature, and it just means the degree of development attained, or level of achievement, or promotion, which means that as he grew, he was probably entrusted with greater responsibilities. Even though he's Jesus, Mary's not going to let him babysit the babies if he's only five years old. He doesn't know how to dial 911 yet. He doesn't know the number to the family doctor. He's five years old. He's, does that make sense? So he's entrusted with greater responsibilities as he's able to function effectively in life just like we are. And he grew in favor. This one's weird. Favor is not love. Because we know that you can't cause God to love you more or less. He, he just, he's infatuated with you. You can't, you can't make him love you more. And you can't make him love you less. So favor's got to be something different than love. And so I've, I've spent a lot of time meditating on favor. And this is what I, what I feel like it is. I feel like it is obvious from scripture that things like friendship with God, intimacy with God, and devotion to God, those kinds of people that have high levels of that can move God's heart and hand more than others. They have a higher level of influence with the king of the universe. Hebrews 5.8, Jesus learned obedience. He learned. That doesn't mean that he ever disobeyed. It means that he had to learn how to live effectively and be entrusted with greater and greater responsibilities. He was being perfected by what he suffered so that he could eventually be the perfect sacrifice. Philippians 2, 6. 
says that although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. We're going to focus on emptied himself. But let me read on. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So that phrase, he emptied himself has been a source of contention through the years. And there are several heresies that have evolved from that. And I just want to throw out three of them so that we can steer clear from that from the get-go. One of them is called Apollinarianism. <laughs> Or Apollinarism. Either one works. Some people say Apollinarianism. Okay. This view basically says Jesus only had a human body. Everything else about him was God. It's not true. And you'll get into crazy heretical doctrine. I just want to warn you about it ahead of time. Here's another one. Nestoria. <laughs> Supposedly, Nestorius, patriarch of Antioch, believed that Jesus Christ had two natures, man and God, separate through his whole life, which means it's kind of like this, um, how, do I, how do I phrase it? They never, they never became one. This, he, he, he just had two separate natures through his whole life. Life and they, they weren't joined together. And that is heresy. I just, want, I just want to warn you ahead of time. The other one, this one is... <laughs> Manophysitism. <laughs> Manophysitism. Manophysitism, Manophysitism, Manophysitism. I did that like ten times before this teaching. It says that he's got one body, but he's got these two um, competing natures, like, um, like Smeagol and Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Like one is taken over and they're like arguing like with each other. <clears throat> it's like, I want to sin because, I mean, I'm, I'm a man and, and God takes over. No, son. It's like, <laughs> that's weird and it is heretical. <clears throat> Here's a better way to look at that verse. When he emptied himself and took on the form of a man, the form of a bondservant, what he did is he forfeited for a time, he forfeited some of the privileges of the nature of God, but he didn't forfeit the nature of God. He, think of it, I mean, he is in the essence of perfect joy and beauty and glory in heaven and he loved you so much that he gave up some of his privileges to come and grow as a weak baby for you. Some of those privileges that he gave up would be like omniscience. Jesus during his time of, as a man was not always all knowing. He had access to the Holy Spirit just like us there are a couple verses to prove that before you want to kick me out of here. <laughs> Mark 13.32 Jesus doesn't know the date of his return. Only the Father knows. 
Luke 8.45, this is my favorite one. The woman with the issue of blood. All these people are crowding in on Jesus, and this woman, so desperate for a miracle, grabs the hem of his garment. Jesus simply feels virtue leave him and says, Who touched me? And he, he didn't know. He asked the question because he didn't know. Who touched me? Crazy, huh? He set aside his omnipotence, his, his all-powerfulness. We saw a couple times, like, he didn't, uh, he couldn't heal everyone perfectly every time. There was, there was a guy that he, it took a couple attempts. At first, like, he was blind, he prayed for me, he's like, I see men walking, it's like real blurry, I see men walking around like trees, and Jesus is like, alright, hold on. Bing! <laughs> I'm just kidding. And he, got, and he got his full healing. Isn't that crazy? God in the form of man gave up his privileges. One of them is his all-powerfulness. And it took him a couple times to heal someone. And his omnipresence, which means, I mean, God is everywhere. God the Father, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Jesus, one body. It means he can't be everywhere at once. This is actually great news for us. It means that our nature and our abilities are not the same thing, and if we are not fully functioning as sons of God yet, it doesn't mean that we aren't sons of God. It means that we are on a journey of obedience and maturity just like Jesus. Woo! Our abilities and our nature are not the same thing. Okay? Good news. Okay, he had... Oh. Human soul and emotions. John 12, 27, Jesus says, My soul is troubled. John 13, 21, he says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Matthew 26, 38, My soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. Jesus doesn't lie. He experienced the fullness of that emotion to the point where he's thinking, if this increases anymore, I'm going to die. He wasn't just being a drama queen. <laughs> this is one of my favorite things. He marveled. Do you remember what he marveled at? I heard it. Centurion. Centurion's faith. He so you guys remember the, the, the story, it's in, it's in Matthew 8.10, the, the centurion comes up to Jesus and he says, my servant lies paralyzed, suffering terribly at home, and Jesus says, well, come and heal him. And he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and I know that he'll be healed, because I too am a man under authority. I say to this soldier, go, and he goes, to this servant, go do that, and he does it. And Jesus is like, holy cow. <laughs> guys, guys. Check out this centurion. I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. He's a Roman too. You can impress Jesus. Don't let that religious spirit get in there and tell you he's seen it all. Because you can impress him. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Holy Spirit. He wept with sorrow at the death of his friend Lazarus. 
Lazarus. That's John 11.35. Hebrews 5.7. With loud cries and tears, he presented his request before God, and he was heard because of his humble piety. Hebrews 4.15. In every respect, he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Very important, Jesus is sinless. Never gave in. He's been tempted. He was tempted. Again, the Bible doesn't lie. He wasn't saying, well, it just looked like he was tempted. <laughs> no, he's a man. He was tempted in every way. He actually had it a lot worse than us. I don't think that anyone in here can say, I've been tempted in every way. Yet he did not sin. Which means he had to have a genuine human nature to be tempted in the first place because it says in James 1.13 that God cannot be tempted with evil. Weird. Okay. I'm going to go real fast. He had a human reputation, which means that people near him saw him only as a man. In Matthew 13, he came to Nazareth. After he's doing all these crazy miracles, he's got this huge following. He can do just about anything. He comes to his hometown, and he can only do a few miracles because of their unbelief. And they're saying, isn't this just Joseph? Isn't this just the carpenter's son? We know him. And they're offended, and they're saying, how does this man do these great things? That means that for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus was hanging out and he was a normal man. A very good man. An exceptionally good man that is fully God the whole time. But it, he was so man that the people closest to him, even his brothers, didn't believe in him. The people around him, they apparently didn't have any idea that he was God in the flesh. Weird. Okay, why? Why was, it fully, why was it necessary for Jesus to be fully human? Well, because he had to have representative obedience. That means where Adam and Eve sinned as men, he had to not sin. They disobeyed, he obeyed. They gave in, he never gave up. In Romans 5.18 it says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. He was also, number two, our substitute sacrifice. If Jesus was not a man, he could not have died in our place and paid the penalty for our sins. Hebrews 2.17 says, For this reason he had to be make them. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order, that we, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Number three, he had to be uh, fully human and fully God in order to be the one mediator between God and man. See, we needed a person to represent God to us, and we needed a person to represent us to God. And he did both, and he's still doing both. It's good news. It's first, first Timothy 2.5 is the reference for that. To, uh, this is number four. He had to be fully man to fulfill God's original purpose for man to rule over creation. This is one of my favorite ones, okay? God made a world and he gave it to two people. He said, this is your world. Rule over it. Subdue it. You have dominion over this planet. Now, I'm not talking about Mormonism here. 
Okay, we're not we're not going to be like dying and, and, and being given planets. Although I don't know why not. He gave us a planet to begin with. But I'm just saying that God's original purpose and plan was for us humans to rule planet Earth. We screwed that up. Gave the authority over to the enemy. But Jesus said, even in the Psalms, that earth he has given into the hands of the sons of men. So Jesus had to perfectly obey the Father as a man to regain our legal right to rule over creation. And it says in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, the authority that was given to Adam and Eve was over the earth. And then the second Adam comes along, obeys perfectly, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's why we have access to the heavens. He had to be fully man to be our example and pattern in this life. Who's got the reference? Crystal Latham. Read it off. That's the exact one I was hoping you'd say. I'm not going to frisbee this one. Someone want to run it back to her? Here you go. Don't kill anyone. <laughs> All right. Good job, Crystal. First <clears throat> John 2, 6 says that he who says he abides in him ought to, ought to walk the same way that he walked. He is our prototype. He is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the firstborn of the dead, from the dead. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are continually being changed into His likeness. Hallelujah. Romans 8.29 says we are conformed to the image of His Son. 1 Peter 2.21, what she just read, leaving you an example that you would follow in His footsteps. And if we encounter persecution, we can take heart from Hebrews 12.3 that says, Consider Him who endured such hostility against Himself from sinners. And Paul's goal was actually to be conformed to Jesus even in his death. That's in Philippians 3.10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. It's awesome. Okay, he's also to be our pattern for uh, redeemed bodies. This is really cool. This is some science fiction stuff right here. Jesus raised from the dead in a spiritual body. In the same way, we're going to be raised from the dead with the spiritual body. It says in 1 Corinthians 15.49, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. He is also our sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If Jesus was not a man, he would not know by experience what we go through. And he would not be a sympathetic high priest. He faced every temptation as a man, not as God. It would have been cheating. He never took an easy escape or an easy route. That temptation scene where Satan was offering him the, all the kingdoms of the world, you know that's what Jesus came for. It was a real temptation. It would have been an easy way out. He didn't take it. Thank you, Jesus. In conclusion, he will be a man forever. That's crazy talk. So, 
He was born a baby, grew up just like us, wisdom, stature, favor, died on a cross. His body ceased to function when he died, just like ours will cease to function when we die. He was raised in a spiritual body, a glorified body, just like we will be. He's leaving an example for us. He came to the disciples and said, See, touch me, I am flesh and bone. Don't you usually say I'm flesh and blood? It's probably because all of his blood had been drained for us. He is now just flesh and bone. <laughs> and he's going to come back the same way. In Acts 1.11, they, they see Jesus ascending into heaven in his body. And they're just like looking up amazed. And then a cloud takes him out of the view. And an angel comes and like taps the disciples on the shoulders like, what are you, what are you looking at? Why do you gaze up into heaven? He's going to come back the same manner that he left. That means that somewhere in the heavens, there's a... a you, you can contain physical bodies in the heavens. Enoch walked with God and was not. Elijah didn't die. He was just took, he's up in heaven. That's crazy. Stephen gazed into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Saul had an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ and said, Why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 1 Corinthians 9, 1, Paul says that there were many resurrection appearances of Jesus to other people. Revelation 1, 13, John sees Jesus looking like the Son of Man. Matthew 26, 29, he promises to drink wine with us and his disciples in the Father's kingdom. A spirit doesn't drink wine. Spirits don't drink spirits. <laughs> he's a body. He's got a body, so he's got to drink wine with us. This is going to be a fun party. Revelation 19.9, he invites us to a great marriage supper in heaven. Did you know that Jesus, it took a lot of humility for him to take on human form, but he actually told me one time that he couldn't wait to do it. Do you know why? He said, there's no greater place in the universe to encounter and experience the love of God than from the frame of a human body. He so perfectly made us to be objects of his affection, to tremble at his voice, to feel his presence flowing through us in power, that Jesus couldn't wait to experience his Father from a body of flesh. This is what we get to experience every day of our lives for all of eternity. God has a voice that shatters oaks and twists up cedars of Lebanon, but when he speaks to humans, we can endure it. Barely. It feels like our atoms are about to explode in every direction. But he so perfectly made us to be recipients and hearers of his voice and seers of his form that it's the greatest place to encounter the presence of God. He's still in that body. And so if you see him show up in your room, reach out your hand and try to grab him because that means he's nowhere else in the universe except for standing in front of you. If he walks into your room, I dare you to touch him. Holy Spirit's everywhere. You can have dream encounters and stuff like that, but if, if he walks in your room and you reach out your hand and it stops against his leg, it means he's chosen to be in front of you. And nowhere else in the whole universe just to spend time with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you took on the form 
of a man, the form of a bondservant, that you became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Thank you even more that you raised from the grave. You are not a God of death. You are a God of the resurrection, and we're looking forward to it, Lord. God, I ask that we would fall in love with you. Jesus, we just want you. Ask for an increased revelation of your body and your blood in this family. In Jesus' name, amen.